everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show, where we hit on all of the latest and greatest news of the week. Of course, this week uh, was a little bit wild for a number of reasons. Uh, we had an outage at BFW that threw off everything from our post schedule to our podcast schedule. So this weekend warm-up is going to be a little bit of a cluster F in terms of cramming in a lot of things into a small allotment of time. Uh, so we were we are going to hit on all of those things that we missed, including some thoughts on the Galatasaray game in the Champions League, a preview for Darmstadt, and some other thoughts that I have that I think are very important over the course of the week. But uh, let's start things out, not waste any time with looking at a preview of this weekend's Bundesliga match, Bayern Munich versus Esfa. Darmstadt and Darmstadt is one of those teams. This is going to sound weird, but they're actually having a respectable season. <laughs> and I know when I recite their record, you're going to probably take a laugh. But right now, Darmstadt is in 12th place. And given that the league this year seems to be very heavily weighted to haves versus have nots and not a lot in between, uh, 12th place is pretty good for a club whose primary objective is just to stay in the top flight. So I think Darmstadt is probably pretty comfortable with where they're at, though they would no doubt like to have a few more points and give them some cushion over top of some of the clubs behind them who inevitably will pick things up and get better over the course of this campaign. But let's look at where both teams are in the standings. Bayern Munich sits in third place through eight match days, six wins, zero losses in the league and two draws. That's good for 20 points. Borussia Dortmund also has 20 points, but Bayern has the edge and goal differential. Bayern has 26 goals, 417 against to make that goal differential 19. Over the course of Bayern Munich's last five games, they have three wins and two draws. The last win, of course, was Bayern Munich over Mainz 3-1. So we know that Bayern Munich is, is feeling pretty good about itself despite its play not looking so spectacular on the field. We'll touch on that in a little bit. But Bayern Munich has done the job in the league. They've gotten the wins that they've needed, and that's about all you can ask for. The two draws, of course, are the difference between this club being in first place or third place. Leverkusen and Stuttgart sit above Bayern Munich in the table. As for Darmstadt, as noted, they are in 12th place through eight match days. They have two wins, one draw, five losses, 13 goals for, 22 against, goal differential of minus nine. They have seven points, which ties them with Heidenheim, another team desperately trying to build up a little bit of a cushion to stay in the top flight. And Darmstadt, like I said, it has not been been a terrible campaign despite the fact that they're losing far more often than they're winning uh, over the course of their last five games however Darmstadt does have two wins one draw and two losses last week was a 3-1 loss to RB Leipzig but prior to that Darmstadt down to Augsburg 2-1 and Werder Bremen 4-2 so d- this Darmstadt team is going to be competitive I don't think they can match up on the talent level, the speed level, the size level with Bayern Munich. It's just two different grades of football teams. I think Bayern has a massive edge in this match. Uh, Darmstadt just wants to get out with a tie. So I'm very interested to see if Darmstadt will park the bus and hope that they can eke out one point, which would probably be advisable for them. Wouldn't be advisable for the football watching public as we'd have to watch a boring game. 
But I think for them, that's probably the tactic that they will take. They know they're outgunned. They know they're outmatched against Bayern Munich. You have to do something to try and scrape a point out of the match. And I think that's what Darmstadt will do. Uh, it would be interesting to see what would happen if Bayern scored a goal very early and to see if Darmstadt would change its tactics. But I do think that that is how this one is going to go. Bayern Munich enters this match, however, with some interesting choices to make. Thomas Tuchel has really fallen into a trap with his lineups. He is pigeonholing certain players into positions that they can never leave in terms of starting the starting lineup. Uh, And what that's doing is creating a little bit of an imbalance, probably creating more wear and tear, but I don't think Tuchel has the final say on some of these decisions. I think there's a lot of internal pressure on him to appease some players. And we will also talk about that in a little bit, but Tuchel is going to have some flexibility this weekend, or at least he should given the nature of the opponent and the fact that this is an English week and he should be resting some players. This Bayern Munich roster is not deep to begin with. It's, it's very thin. And I think the more you put this this group of players at risk by adding on to that wear and tear that they're already accumulating, it, it, it's not good for the rest of this season and how this all projects. Uh, Bayern should absolutely be rotating heavily, but we'll see how that works. Uh, I guess what we should do at this point is take a look at that lineup and see what we think is going to happen now. Her previous reports, Manuel Neuer is supposed to be ready for this match. So we are going to assume that those reports are correct and Neuer will be the man who gets the call to go in between the sticks. Though it would not be shocking to see Bayern Munich push that back another week just because they can. It's it's Darmstadt after all. So uh, I think we'll see Manuel Neuer in net. I think we will absolutely see the center back tandem of Kim Min-Jae and Matthijs De Ligt back. I don't think they've been particularly great working together yet. I think they lack familiarity. I don't think that communication has been the best between them. Uh, I think there's a lot of room for growth. Uh, but I would say that when throwing Dio Upamakano into the mix too, I, I generally don't think that the central defenders have been great this season in working together. Now, I'm not saying they're bad players or that they've had bad seasons. I just don't think they've been great so far. I expect a lot more out of those three players. And I think over the course of the season, as they all get healthy, we've seen Delict miss time with injuries. We've seen Upamakano now out. Uh, they just do need some time to get together and get on the same page. And I think eventually it will happen. The thing that worries me the most is that Tuchel is going to fall into the trap. Uh, he, I don't know, through every report I see and the quotes I see, it just does not appear that he likes Delict all that much. And I do think that he'll fall into the trap of leaning on Upamakano and Kim Min Jae, who will both get beat up over the course of the season. If you have three good center backs, you should be rotating them and then rotating them equally at this point, because you could make the rest of your season so good just by keeping those three players healthy. And I think your best chance of doing that is to heavily rotate them at the outside back positions. Uh, I do think we'll see Alfonso Davies. I think we'll also see Nusar Mizrahi. Mizrahi made his comeback against Galatasaray in the Champions League earlier this week. Uh, I think he needs to still shake off a little rust. Did not think he was particularly great in that match. I I don't think anybody from Bayern was particularly great in that match, to be honest. But uh, I think those two uh, will get the run at outside back. And I think that they also need some time to adjust to things. I know that sounds weird with Davies. 
Uh, but he's got to get used to playing with those center backs. And I think the whole back line itself has been struggling with communication, communication and positioning and awareness. And I think it's just an overall lack of familiarity because so many players have been gun- been going in and out. We've seen Franz Kratzig, Conrad Leimer, at different points, Rafael Guerrero, the few minutes that he's been healthy this season. It's just been a lot of moving in and out. And I know I'm calling for rotation, and I do believe that Bayern needs that. But they need to keep these players healthy. And they can't build up that camaraderie and that relationship as, as a unit unless they're all healthy. And that's really what I think is holding the back line down at this point. As far as the midfield goes, this is where it gets very interesting to me. I thought Conrad Limer was was pretty terrible earlier this week. And I think he's been slumping, quite frankly. I don't think he's been very good for about a month now. So if I'm Thomas Tuchel, I, I probably look at the opponent in Darmstadt. I look at my roster and I say, all right, this is a week I can get creative. What can I do? So I do think we're going to see a lone midfielder in Yashua Kimmich this week. And I don't know that that's a good move. With Leon Goretzka out injured, you know, it would put a lot of pressure on Kimmich. But I think Bayern Munich will be well poised to handle it because I just don't think Darmstadt's going to press them aggressively and go after Kimmich in the midfield unless, in my mind, there's a drastic change in philosophy. So Kimmich will man the midfield by himself, which leads to an attacking group of five people. And I think we'll see dual attacking midfielders with Jamal Musiala and Thomas Muller. And I think we'll see wings, Kingsley Coman and Leroy Sané. Of course, Harry Kane will be at the top of the formation. Now, I will say this. It would not shock me to see Matisse Tell get some run as a starter this week or Eric Maxim Chupamoting. And I think Tell would probably come at the expense of Kingsley Coman. And I think that Chupamoting is a legitimate threat to start over Thomas Muller. I don't get the impression that, that Tuchel cares for Muller at all. I don't think he wants to play him. I don't think Jamal Musiala will ever cede a minute the rest of this season without complaining. I know that's some projecting on my part, but I'm watching this situation play out. I'm reading the reports that are out there. I think Musiala has the club's, <laughs> pardon my phrasing, bag in a cinch right now because they are so scared to do anything that would irritate him given the transfer rumors are, that are out there. We'll touch on that very, very briefly later. But I think that's the lineup for Bayern Munich. I think Thomas Tuchel's team is poised to win this match. I think it'll be a 3-0 victory. Manuel Neuer will get that clean sheet in his return. Hopefully he does return. And this should be a, a match where Bayern Munich looks really good. It wouldn't shock me, honestly, if this got up to 5 nothing. I think at some point, Bayern's pure talent is going to overwhelm Darmstadt. But I think Darmstadt, if they stay disciplined in their approach and they realize that their only chance to really come through and win this is to just more even get a draw is to park the bus and hope that they can strike on a quick counterattack. I think they've got to stick to that. And, and I hate saying that because it's going to make for a very unattractive game. But what other choice does a team like Darmstadt have when facing Bayern Munich at this point? I would love to say they're going to be swashbuckling. They're going to try and enter that ring and go punch for punch. They're, they're not going to do that, at least not in my eyes. They're probably going to sit back. They're probably going to try and absorb, and they're going to hope like hell they can get that long one long ball out, catch Bayern Munich's back line napping, which is a complete possibility at this stage, and get one on the board. So Darmstadt, 
they're kind of in a no win situation, even if that's wrong to say in sports. And I will also touch on that in a second. But uh, I do think that Byron walks out of this with a three nil victory. And like I said, it, it, it could go higher depending on how Bayern Munich breaks through the inevitable tour bus that should be parked on the pitch by Darmstadt at the Allianz Arena. Uh, we're going to take a quick break after the preview segment there, and then we are going to come back with some thoughts on the Champions League win over Galatasaray, along with some other topics, which I think you'll enjoy hearing about. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Bavarian Podcast Works. This is the weekend warm-up show. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm happy to be bringing this to you. Uh, as you just heard, we finished up the preview segment of this podcast. I cannot wait until we get the preview show back, isolated on its own. Uh, the BFW crash this week did definitely, uh, hurt us in terms of being able to do that, but I will wrap in some thoughts about our crash after I give you some of my takes on the Galatasaray match. Of course, our post game show was fell victim to the great BFW crash of 2023. So we did not get to put one out. So I wanted to give you some just brief thoughts on how I thought the game played out. If you read my daily schmuck girl, uh, daily post, you, you got a lot of my takes and, uh, you know, I, I thought there were some some very irritating things about the match. One, Galatasaray, the the atmosphere was fantastic. The team was game and they were very tough and they were very willing to engage with Bayern Munich. And to be honest, I thought they outplayed Bayern Munich for most of the match. Uh, we saw them play with a real vigor over the course of the first half and eventually they just wore down. So... Uh, a big credit to them, honestly. I mean, to be able to, to go toe-to-toe with Bayern Munich for that long, uh, you know, Mauro Icardi hitting the PK, some people are calling it questionable. I mean, whatever the case, I think Joshua Kimmich knows better than to make that type of challenge in the box there, especially, especially against a veteran like Icardi, who is almost always going to get the benefit of the doubt in those situations. So Kimmich needs to be smarter there. We have seen some uncharacteristically unintelligent play at times from Kimmich, which we really hadn't seen that much before. Uh, the one thing you could always say about Kimmich's game, he's been very heady, very smart about how he plays, when he challenges and all that. I think he's gotten a little bit loose this season. So um, something to keep an eye on, but Kimmich, I expect a little bit more out of. Otherwise, I thought Kimmich had a, a decent game. Uh, otherwise, though, uh, I still do not like the way Bayern Munich is attacking. And I firmly believe if Galatasaray's collective stamina was better, Bayern would not have been able to tally those three goals. Uh, there are definitely some issues with the attack. And I know every week I sit here and I say, it's not time to be concerned yet. I am starting to be concerned with how the players surrounding Harry Kane are just maintaining a shoot first mentality when the club specifically went out to get a player who they could use as a target man, someone who the team should be feeding and should be setting up. I know Kane at this point, he hasn't said anything publicly, but we're starting to see the gestures on the field that he's getting frustrated, particularly with Leroy Sané at times. Uh, they are missing him. Jamal Musiala missed him in a key moment. It's not good. And I think if you make the effort and you spend the money to go out and get Kane, then he should be the focal point of the attack. Now, what I wonder is, is Thomas Tuchel unable to convince his players to alter their own style of play? Now, for all of you Sadio Mane maniacs out there who really absolved him of all blame and put it on Bayern Munich, this probably makes your point a little bit that 
No one at Bayern Munich is willing to sacrifice their own game for the betterment of the team. The difference I would say in this situation is that Sadio Mane was absolutely cooked last year and could offer nothing to Bayern Munich. Uh, I thought, you know, again, terrible signing. He had nothing left in the tank to perform at a world-class level. I think Kane's got plenty left, but we have not seen Leroy Sané, Kingsley Coman, or Jamal Musiala, and, and frankly, Serge Gnabry. We have not seen them make any adjustments. They still all maintain a shoot-first mentality. We know this is a reason that Robert Lewandowski was pulling his hair out in his last season at Bayern Munich. Tuchel needs to rein this in. It's not even that you, you know these players shouldn't be taking some of the shots because they should. Uh, they absolutely are producing. But is this attack operating at a level that's going to be efficient enough against world-class teams? And right now it's not in my eyes. I think there needs to be more focus on Kane. I don't know if this attack will get there because I think Tuchel's hands are tied on a lot of things. I think he can't say a word to Jamal Musiala at this point. I think that Leroy Sané and Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry are not going to listen to him at all. I just think it's a situation where this group is what it is. These are the types of players that Bayern Munich has, and they are, let me get this out there, fantastic players. They are great players, world-class players. But sometimes you need to function a little bit differently. You need to operate in a matter that's going to be best for the team. And right now, I don't think they're all doing that. And the fact that Kane's starting to show some visual frustration, to me, is, is a bad sign. Because this is about as mild-mannered a, a player as, as we've seen. All right, This is not Robert Lewandowski, who, if you looked at him the wrong way, was throwing his hands up. Kane has been, a, so far, by all accounts, a great teammate, a good acquisition someone that has really come in and tried to acclimate himself to Bayern Munich, to the club culture. But now we're seeing that frustration. And that does worry me because if he's that vocal or demonstrative on the field, it's inevitable that it's going to, to sift into the locker room. And we don't know how players like Sané or Coman or Gnabry or Musiala are going to react to that. Frankly, I mean, I would ascertain that when Robert Lewandowski would say things to them, they just shut down and were like, F him. And I worry that if you do that with Kane, it makes this huge acquisition. The move that really should be propelling you to be a top three Champions League favorite, it will ruin that. And that is, to me, a big fear of what is going on with the attack. I don't want to see Harry Kane having to bark just to get the ball. And, and listen, he did finish the Galatasaray game with a goal and an assist. And, and, and that's what he does. I mean, if you get him involved, he will absolutely be productive and he's not a selfish striker by any means. And as much as like, I love Robert Lewandowski's game. And I think that he is to me, one of the best, not just one of the best strikers right now, but of all time, he, he was more on the selfish side than Kane. Kane is, floats into this hybrid area of being a world-class striker, but having the vision of a world-class 10 and having, I, I want to say the mindset of a 10, because he is not afraid to sacrifice his own shot for a better opportunity. Unfortunately, his teammates have not yet embraced that same philosophy. So would not shock me to see Kane start to take things on his own and go on his own or try to shoot more because frankly, he's just not getting all that involved. Uh, so that was concerning. I, I don't think the midfield and defense really was all that great against Galatasaray. The midfield, I thought Kimmich was fine. Limer was a train wreck. 
and this is what worries me about Limer and why I've kind of put it out there. I think he could be a one-year player at Bayern Munich. You have Leon Goretzka who's hurt and who will inevitably come back. You're, you're going to be adding a, a true number six, most likely during the January transfer window. Conrad Limer's role is going to get thrown out the window. Uh, he'll be an afterthought, I think, when it comes to January, if Bayern Munich can can secure another player. And, and sure, I know he's gotten some time at right back, but I don't know if Tuchel will eventually move on from Limer because in some of the big spots where he's played right back, he just has not been that successful. And it's not his natural position. I'm not even so sure that, that Thomas Tuchel likes Nusar Mizrahi all that much, but uh, given the choice of the two over the course of the season, I think Tuchel will eventually start to favor him as rally over Limer and Limer's really going to be wondering why he made this move. Uh, to me, the writing was always on the wall for Limer. I don't think he's as good a player as Goretzka or Kimmich. You throw another midfielder into the mix. It's going to push him even further back. And the weird part is I really do like Limer. I think he brings a lot to the table, but it's not fitting right now. And if it's not a fit, Tuchel's not going to be able to use him. His hands are already tied. And as much as Tuchel would love not to play Goretzka, we know that Tuchel does not really care for him. He has to, because Goretzka's frankly been good, as much as some of you don't want to hear that. And that's where like, I feel like that Jon Snow meme, every time I say something good about Goretzka, I just take the the sword out of the sheath and 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 I see all of you charging at me on on horses with your own swords. And that's what I feel like every time I defend Goretzka here. But I think he's been really good this season. And I know there's just a large segment of people out there who will not acknowledge anytime Goretzka does anything good. But hey, that's what makes a lot of this fun. As long as you guys really don't stab me, I think we'll be okay. Um, defensively, listen, Sven Ulrich was fantastic in that. And I love that he went out that way. If that was his last game, it was a great way to go out. And I think if there's a situation where he has to be used again, those good vibes that he accumulated with that kind of effort, I think that will all come back to help him later on. But hey, listen, he did the job he was supposed to do. And, and that's what you want out of Sven Ulrich. He's a good teammate. He's someone who Manuel Neuer trusts. I know his contract is coming up, but I think if if Neuer's comfortable with him and given the way that Ulreich has performed, I think you bring him back. And even if that means he's a number three, I don't think Ulreich cares at this point of his career. He knows what he is. He's a backup goalkeeper on a on a world-class team. If he wants to go down, he could go to Darmstadt or Heidenheim or wherever, and he could be a starter. Absolutely. But I don't think he wants that anymore. And I think he's comfortable in his situation and if he could be a mentor to Daniel Pretz as he starts to evolve into maybe the eventual Neuer replacement, I think that would be a great role for Ulreich. I touched on what I thought about the back line. Didn't love their performance collectively. And it is truly collectively. I'm not even picking on any one player. I just don't think they're in sync right now. Much like the attack is not in sync. In fact, it's hard to say what is in sync these days. But in the end, Byron's winning games. And that is the bottom line and all that really matters. So is as much as it might seem ugly to me at times and frustrating to watch, they're winning. So at this point, fans have to be happy with the results, although you can you know, not be a fan of the journey of watching these games and the ups and downs and the, the roller coaster ride that we're all going on as we're watching this team scuffle and, and, and fluff its way through some matches. So uh, they're winning games, and that's that is the important thing. One of the biggest disappointments, and this is kind of a topic that's spiraling off of thoughts on the game, 
was that Thomas Tuchel couldn't even find a way to use Thomas Muller in that match. And I know there are reports this week that that indicate Bayern Munich is going to be reaching out to Muller to talk about a contract extension. And I, by all means, I don't think there's any doubt that that the club wants Muller. He is a fixture. He is a, a seminal figure at the club, important to the club's history. But right now, it doesn't seem as though the coaching staff thinks he can offer anything on the pitch. And it's very worrisome because there's been absolutely nothing to indicate that he can't go in and do the, the same job that some of the other players are doing. No, he's not the same player as Jamal Musiala. He's not that kind of dribbler or explosive like that, but he offers other things. And the fact that it's been so difficult for Tuchel to find him opportunities is really concerning. And I know we're going to hear about Mueller being a veteran. They're trying to keep him fresh and healthy, but none of that really computes. Tuchel, what we've learned about him is that he has players in his doghouse that he just simply doesn't like. Whether you're talking about Goretzka, Delict, Mueller, you could even throw Mizrawi in there, given the way he's been handled. Maybe even Kingsley Coman, because honestly, if if Gnabry was healthy, Coman probably wouldn't be getting any run at this point. Either way, Tuchel doesn't have any use for Mueller. And I think it's he's missing the boat on this. And this has been a big thing. I know at BFW, you have the hashtag Mueller Mafia who is pushing that Mueller agenda and saying that he should be starting. And listen, I think there's actually some merit to it. I don't think that Jamal Musiala has been all that great this season. I worry, and I'm not going to go off on a tangent on this because I've touched on it so many times, and it is my tinfoil hat theory, but I worry about Musiala's maturity. I worry about the power he's wielding over the club at this point. And when you read the stories and, and the transfer rumors and all that, and you're seeing that Manchester City and Liverpool are among the clubs interested, you could even throw Real Madrid in the mix. There, there, there There's no doubt that if Musiala is available, he's going to get interest. I mean, Chelsea, <laughs> return to Chelsea has been bandied about as well. I think Musiala and whoever's guiding him is, is doing the kid a disservice. Um, at this point, Musiala is a great young player, one with a ceiling that is arguably higher than 99.9% of the players on earth. But it does seem like that the club's operating in fear of him. And it's such a bad precedent to set with a young player. We know that, that Musiala via reports has not been happy at being subbed out. We know that he wants to start all the time for a player built so slightly. And, and I think he needs to retain the slight build to really get the most out of his talents. I think it just works for him. I don't think we need to see a transformation from him. I think it's a mistake to to overuse him and let him dictate how much he plays, especially when you have a perfectly good option in Thomas Muller sitting on the bench. I think this is one of Tuchel's biggest areas of concern in how we assess him as a manager because he does not appear to have control over the situation. He does not appear to be operating confidently and being able to use certain players the way maybe he would want to. I think he's coaching in fear of Musiala. I think the club is absolutely worried about the future with Musiala and will do everything to keep him happy. And that, of course, does affect Thomas Muller, which is how we got here in the first place. So if that's all true, and listen, it's debatable whether it's true or not. I, I think there's merit to it. And some of you will tell me I'm an idiot and others will agree with me. But 
either way, Musiala is is becoming almost a Kimmich like figure at Bayern Munich, where the club is it operates in fear of Kimmich, or at least it did. And now I think there's starting to be some sentiment that maybe Kimmich isn't as good as the club wanted him to be, where he hasn't made those adjustments that the club would like him to make. And I think Kimmich had that status, and I think that's slowly fading. But Musiala is rapidly pushing himself into that stratosphere. Well, he'll, he'll, he will be the next player that the club is living in fear of. And I, I think it's such a terrible move to operate like that. And if it's true, and again, maybe it's not, but if it's true, this is a bad sign for Bayern Munich moving forward. I wouldn't let a player at 20 years old absolutely be calling shots with how much he plays, when he plays, who he plays against or anything. Certainly wouldn't be operating in fear of him. If Musiala wants to leave, he's going to leave either way. And I think more than anything, it's going to be how, one, he likes Tuchel, and we don't know if he likes Tuchel or not. I mean, listen, Tuchel's not an easy guy to like, apparently. So there, there could be friction there at some point if there's not already friction. But it's going to be determined by how Bayern Munich does on the big stage. Right now, ask yourself, do you think Bayern Munich's walking in to Man City or Real Madrid in a two-leg tie? And do you think that they're walking out winning? I don't think so right now. Honestly, and I'm not being a Debbie Downer, I probably rate them third uh, in terms of being the favorite to win the Champions League. And in the end, a player like Musiala, that's what he's looking for. He's not looking for where who's going to pay him the, the most money at this point. He's going to get that money wherever he goes. But he wants to be set up to win a Champions League. And if he doesn't think Bayern Munich is at the level of City or Real Madrid, then it would not shock me to see him make a move to either one of those two clubs. As for Muller, the clock is ticking on his future. The, the more he sits game to game, the less chance he has at being an impactful player for the rest of his career. And in a lot of ways, I think it's sad. I think it's sad that a guy that's given so much to the club and has done so much is kind of being pushed aside at the end of his career when he still has something to offer. So I'm not super happy about the situation. I'm not really not happy about Tuchel's handling of it. But I don't know if this is club driven or if this is Tuchel just not liking Mueller, which is completely possible. But either way, I think to help Musiala and to keep him healthy, I think you need to work Mueller in and give him a start this weekend. I mean, personally, like I'm I'm thinking he'll start in what looks like a 4-1-4-1 formation. But listen, it wouldn't shock me to see Limer rolled out there again in the midfield. This is also a game that would help Limer probably get right in terms of getting some confidence in his own play, because I don't expect Darmstadt to really uh, apply the pressure on the midfielders like we have seen in some previous matches. One of the other rumors of the week that we've seen, and, you know, Bayern Munich is in a tough spot with Musial, but they're also in a tough spot with Alfonso Davies. Uh, you know, right now, it seems like the sides are not connecting on being able to get together on contract talks, and that is an issue. Uh there are some reports out there that, that indicate that Byron's really hesitating on, on getting together with Davies to offer him a new deal. We know that Davies is going to, to get interest out there, right? And we know that Davies, is his side is absolutely unhappy with the handling of Brazo and him being let go. Davies' agent has been critical of the club. He talked publicly about Real Madrid. We know that there are half a dozen English clubs that would love to make Davies the highest paid left back in the world. 
But Bayern Munich on its end, and this was interesting. Bayern Munich is eager to contain, was the word used by Sport Build trio of journalists who covered the story, his salary demands. So Bayern, it seems like, is calculating some things. How much is it going to cost to retain Davies? A lot, right? What, what is he worth on the open market? A lot. If you sell him, you're going to get a lot of money. But I think there are now, for the first time at Bayern Munich, might be some doubt that Davies is going to be worth the money that it would take to pay him. And listen, Davies is one of those players who he has also become kind of a golden child that can't be criticized by, by Bayern fans. And, and listen, I, I will criticize everybody. Like I watch a game and I, I like I maybe it's unique in some ways, but I can watch a game and regardless of what I feel about a player and how much I like them, I can assess their performance and say whether they're good or bad. I, I've seen performances from Davies this year that have been absolutely spectacular. And I've seen others where it looks like he doesn't care. And he's had some consistent issues with positioning. He's had some consistent issues with awareness. These are things that are not new. They have not changed over the course of three years. Uh, he has done much better with his possessions. He's not losing them at nearly the rate that he was. So that is an improvement. But if there's something that Bayern Munich is not quite liking about his game, if they don't see improvement, it wouldn't shock me to think about them perhaps exploring the option of selling Davies over the summer. I know it seems weird, and I know we all love Davies. If, listen, it's hard not to like the kid. He, he's genuinely a good personality. He is a hell of a lot of fun to watch. And he, again, you have this ceiling with the kid that if he ever just applies himself to make those changes in his game, he's going to, to undoubtedly be a top 20 player in the world. But I don't know if he's got that in him to do that. He looks like a guy right now that's relying on being a naturally good soccer player or football player, whatever you call it, right? Like, Sorry, I'm in like kid mode right now because my kids are both like in the middle of their seasons and and I'm like, you know, in America here, we're calling it soccer. So you, you might hear me uh, flip the switch a little bit there. I usually call it football to appease the world public, but sometimes I will slip. Anyway, Davies is a player who it's easy to see why everyone likes him and why everyone would want him to stick at Bayern Munich. I do think that Bayern's going to closely look at this situation. They're going to assess the cost. You know, we've seen reports that Real Madrid wants to offer 70 million for him, which is an, an absolute joke. He's worth much more than that. And I think Man City would be more than willing to give Pep Guardiola that kind of weapon and pay a hell of a lot more than Real Madrid. So I, I don't worry about what Byron would get for him. But I do think this is the first time the club is really seriously starting to explore if this is going to be a viable option to retain him. And it's not only the salary and how much it would cost versus you know what Davies is projecting to, but his agent is making this a very difficult process. He's been very disrespectful in terms of talking openly about the interest from other clubs, which, listen... In the end, I don't care. Like you can say what you want. It doesn't change anything. But do you need to do that? Like it's pretty obvious that Davies is going to have offers elsewhere. You don't need to throw it in Byron's face. And I think the relationship there is 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 pretty splintered. And that doesn't affect Davies necessarily, but 
at some point, Bayern Munich's going to have to make that assessment, and they're going to have to do the pros and cons of of, of Davies and his future. It's hard to think that he's not going to to really continue to evolve into that upper echelon, top echelon player in the world. But I do think there's at least some cause for concern that he has not really taken his game to another level. He's just relied on what he's always done. And there are teams, smart teams, good teams that will take advantage of him in those situations. So, you know, again, it's it's a it's an interesting situation to monitor Bayern Munich because it's one of those things that I think fans don't ever consider. Like Luca Hernandez, it was the same thing. Like, okay, great, he'll just become a Bayern lifer. No, he was not going to do that. Like, I never got the indication that Lucas was the type of player that was going. To, to commit himself to one club. I don't necessarily think that about Alfonso Davies either. I think to me, Davies has always been about being a world traveler. Like Germany was the logical first step in his career to develop and put himself on the map. But if he really wants to make it big, he really wants to become that global star star that, you know, that is recognizable. And, you know, he's not, you know, he's not just relying on his YouTube channel to get, to get his face out there. I think what better way to do that than to go to Real Madrid, arguably the most popular club in the world, or to the Premier League, which is by far the most popular league. In my mind, I think Davies is not re-upping with Bayern Munich. I think that, you know, there was a lot of thought about wanting to stay in one spot through 2026 so that he could, you know, be stable ahead of the World Cup. But uh, I'm not so sure right now, honestly. I, I don't think that there's a level of commitment from Davies to Bayern Munich that many fans would like. And, um, you know, the club, if they really are starting to assess things, you know, they might be willing to say, like, how, you know, what could we apply the money to that we get from a sale of Davies? And how much money or would, would we be saving from our salary budget to to let him go? Especially if he's not fully committed to what we want to do. I mean, the whole thing is really fascinating. And I don't think it's so cut and dry as many fans do that Davies is going to re-up and that this is all just posturing from his agent. <laughs> Finally, there are uh, two topics I do want to touch on. The BFW's big crash, right? I-, I said a little bit about that earlier, but just to walk you through it, and we ran a post on it. As the Champions League game was was finishing, all of a sudden, the entire Vox network went down, all of the SBN sites. So we were like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> and, you know, I'm sitting there constantly refreshing, uh, you know, my screen trying to figure it out. And once we realized that it was a serious network outage, we were just stuck. Um, we had some things going on that prevented Siler from doing the post-game show. A few of us rallied and were writing offline so that we would have posts ready to go, which, of course, we got out there. But it was crazy. I mean, we had not seen long-term outages like that uh, with our network. And it was kind of crazy to go through it because, you know, we're all normal people. We all had stuff to do. So, like, you know, (laughs) when we typically our rush after the game is one of our busiest periods. We're writing things so we can schedule them out and give you guys a lot of stuff to read over the course of 24 hours. Well, I mean, this was nuts. We all rode offline. And then, you know, various points, I I literally had a laptop with me at my uh, daughter's high school soccer game uh, and was able to, to take it out and start scheduling things. Once the, uh, 
once the system came back up online. It was absolutely crazy. And, you know, we apologize that it happened like that. Of course, for us, it, like that's one of our biggest periods for people viewing our site is right after a game. So terrible timing for us, terrible timing for BFW's community. So we appreciate you hanging in through the big crash. Uh, no, and, and like like many of you thought it was... It was not the uh, Black Friday that many SBN sites experienced a few months ago, where you know the the the, the cord was kind of cut on them. Uh, I know that was a, a big reaction from a lot of people. They thought we were donezo, but uh, we're still here. We're kicking. And uh, listen, uh, you know we're uh, we're trying to cover Bayern Munich in Germany the best we can, and I think we do a pretty good damn job on it. And you guys. Uh, are huge in terms of supporting that effort. So thank you for hanging in after our big crash. The last thing I do want to talk about is losing. So if you know me, uh, you know that I was all in on the Philadelphia Phillies all season. And I rode that wave. That was one of the funnest seasons I think I have ever had in following a team in any sport. Uh, the team collectively was like imminently likable. They had good personalities. They celebrated in such fun ways and they genuinely seemed to like each other. There were no bad apples in the bunch, even players that were unhappy. They bought into the team concept, at least until the season ended when Taiwan Walker started to tweet out nefarious things about being disrespected, but whatever Taiwan, you were a huge disappointment. Uh, you won a lot of games, but you didn't pitch really well. That's why they didn't use you in the playoffs. But I digress. Uh, this was just a fun overall team. And it made me think about a lot of things. Uh, and it was eerily made me think about Bayern Munich and this season's team. Now, Bayern Munich this season is is not similar to the Phillies in that they have an eminently likable team. Uh, they are a likable group, but they don't... N- really appear to have that same camaraderie or group team concept filling the entire locker room. Like I think I saw with the Phillies. I know it's weird to compare sports like that, but this Byron group still in in a lot of ways looks like a collection of individuals. And I know that there's a lot of evidence out there to suggest that, you know, maybe that's overstating it, but you know, it's a good team, a good group of people for the most part. It seems like they get along, but they haven't yet created that vibe. And that vibe was what made the Phillies so special this season. And that vibe all ended when they got ousted by the Arizona Diamondbacks unceremoniously in their own ballpark in game seven, which was a total disappointment. I'm still feeling the effects of that. I've literally, I don't know if I've ever been this disappointed in the outcome of a, of a series or a, a tie or whatever with it, with a team. Listen, the Sevilla just a couple of years ago, the Sevilla, loss in the Champions League for Bayern was utterly deflating because it, it, there was no reason for it. It, it. it was a total debacle in every single way. And I was pissed about that for a couple of days, but this, this feels different. Um, this Phillies thing was a little bit different and in, in, in trying to relate it to Bayern Munich, I, I do think about losing it in and of itself. Like, why do we as fans put ourselves through this? 99% of the time, the time and investment we're making in, in the teams, it doesn't add up to that ultimate goal of, of winning, to winning all of the titles, winning every trophy that you can. 
And it's a funny mindset that I think we all have as fans because we enjoy going through that journey, or at least I do. Like, I love the titles. I love the championships. That's the ultimate goal. I always have loved the journey from start to finish, seeing how a team evolves and develops and how the camaraderie builds and how, you know, in good seasons, how it all just seems to come together. And of course, if you've you're like, listen, it doesn't happen that much with Bayern Munich where it all falls apart. I mean, we've seen some bad seasons over the years. We've seen some crushing defeats like 2012 in the Champions League. But what we haven't really seen is a total unraveling. And last year was was about as close as we got after the Nagelsmann firing. It, it really did look at times like Bayern was a, a rudderless ship. Uh the one good thing about being a Byron fan is you you don't hit that rock bottom feeling typically. They're always staying at the level. They're always winning the Bundesliga. They're always going to be a competitor in the Champions League. That's the way it has been. And it has been that way for a long time. So you don't hit that necessarily big low. But I will tell you this. Over the course of this season, as we watch Bayern Munich, if they do start to, to build that vibe, to build that camaraderie and become this team that fans can truly embrace, because right now I think that's one thing that they're missing. I think that fans can look at this team and they can see they have a lot of great individuals. They have a collection of great individuals, but they are not yet a team. I don't know that Thomas Tuchel is the kind of coach that can build that kind of vibe within a team. I don't know that if he's got that in him. Listen, I, I understand he he did something at Chelsea that is still astounding to me in, in defeating Pep Guardiola in the Champions League final. Even just getting that Chelsea team to that point is, is pretty incredible because they weren't that good. But that was such a player-driven thing. And what I worry about with Bayern Munich, if you're not going to have the manager as kind of the overseer of the vibes, who's going to be that person? Is it Joshua Kimmich? Is it Thomas Muller? There's really no one there to oversee that. There's no one to champion that. And I'm worried that over this season, this team, for all of its talent, is never just going to get together on the same page, on the field or off of it. And if they can't do that, if they can't create this kind of winning atmosphere, if they can't, and, and by winning, I don't just mean in games, but the fact that they are engaging with each other, becoming a, a presence with, with each other on and off the field and, and looking like they are having the time of their lives. If they can't create that fun environment, I do think this is going to ultimately end with bitter disappointment for a lot of people. I mean, right now we can look and say they're not at the level of Man City or Real Madrid at this point. Can they get there? Absolutely. But they need to start coming together as a team. Otherwise, we're all going to get that losing feeling. And I will admit right now, I don't expect to feel anywhere near as bitter about any ultimate losing by Bayern Munich as I as I have about the Phillies. And it's it's kind of weird. But the connection that that makes you embrace a team like that, I'm not getting that same connection with this group of Bayern Munich players. So how losing affects all of that and how fans absorb that, I think it really does depend on how connected you feel with the group and the team. And, and I don't feel like this is a Bayern Munich team that fans have really connected with at this point. I think part of it's due to the manager. There's a lot of controversy with him. A lot of people don't like him. I think a lot of people don't like what's going on with Thomas Muller. A lot of people don't like how Matthijs De Ligt has been talked about and treated. Some people just hate some of the players. <laughs> I mean, people just are out for blood with Leon Goretzka. 
this is tough. And it's so tough because if the team can't come together, if they can't build a real team from within the locker room, I don't know how connected fans will be. And I don't know how tough an ultimate loss in the Champions League fans. I don't know how tough they'll take it because I don't know at this point if anybody's really expecting anything than being a semifinalist. I think that's where they're at. I think the expectation at this point, given how things are progressing, is that Bayern is a is a Champions League semifinalist and not much more. And and that's a great thing. Now listen, they're being challenged in the Bundesliga. The DFB Pokal has never proven to be an easy thing for anyone to really capture. But Bayern Munich needs to start coming together. And if they come together, I feel like, and create some kind of vibe, something, I feel like they'll be able to get fans to truly buy in and believe. And right now, I don't know that they're getting that belief from everyone. There's still so much doubt out there that it's really preventing, I think, a lot of people from going all in. And you go all in, you're going to get that pain from losing. But, you know, if you can avoid it, you're not going to get that that pit in your stomach that I still feel two days later. So, uh, you know, it's it's something that as fans, I, I'm very interested to see how this works and how this goes because I just don't see it at this point how this Byron club is is building that type of atmosphere from within the team that's, that's going to, to create all of those connections and make it, a special experience to watch them. It's just not there yet. It's still a collection of individuals. So Thomas Tuchel, you've got your work cut out for you, buddy. <laughs> That'll about do it for this show. Appreciate everybody listening. Uh, please check out BavarianFootballWorks.com and get all the latest Bayern Munich news. You can always get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at BavarianFBWorks. You can get our tweet meister, Tom Adams, at TommyAdams71. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get Siler at CYL3R. Like I said, check us out at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Read our posts. Check out our podcast. We really appreciate everything. Have a couple of beers on me and enjoy the match this weekend. We'll see you next time.